So today I'm joined by the CSBS senior economist, Tom Seams. Thanks so much for joining me, Tom. Yeah, thanks, man. So this is the start of a monthly economic podcast that we're going to do that just covers what's going on on the ground month to month based on the data that we're seeing. So in 30 seconds or less, what's the big story coming into February of 2021? Yeah, man, I think probably the big story is the significant economic hit really that the world has gotten from the COVID-19 pandemic and and government lockdowns and restrictions that occurred after that and how that continues its vicious assault after nearly a full year. And so the employment situation is what I am watching and monitoring most closely because I think it's going to be the main metric that's going to signal the strength of economic growth for the months and the, and the years ahead. So right now, payroll employment is nearly 10 million people, workers, below what it was about a year ago. And while that's up more than 12 million from as far as we dropped in April of 2020, um, the economy since then, since April, has only added about one and a half million workers over the past six months. So that's a that's some pretty dour news. Is there any good news from the numbers for the last month or quarter? Yeah, there's always good news. You know, us economists on the one hand and on the other, we we uh, we can find good and bad in in, in actually the same statistics. So um, the good news from the employment report from the last month is that the national unemployment rate fell sharply from six point seven percent in December to six point three percent in January. I think some other good news is that consumer confidence appears to be improving. And that's always a good indicator to watch because um, it indicates future uh, spending and uh, economic growth because consumers in the U.S. account for about 70 percent of U.S. economic activity. So I think confidence is improving really for three visible reasons over the last just looking over the last month. First. We have the rollout of the vaccine and hopes and expectations that it will result in the economy reopening sooner rather than later. Second, um, the record high stock market prices that we've had and the big increases that we saw in home prices over the last year has raised the kind of quote unquote on paper net worth for many Americans. So they, they feel well, they feel better. Uh, about their wealth. And then third, and this confidence, uh, th- this one has confidence kind of going in opposite directions, but on net improving. And that is the political transfer of power that we had in, in January. Um, this increased confidence for Democrats by 17.5%, and that more than offset the 9.9% confidence decline among Republicans. And then finally, I'm encouraged that uh, you know we, we saw our first snapshot of uh, fourth quarter 2020 GDP this last month. And of course, GDP is gross domestic product that measures all the value of final goods and services produced in the economy. And it increased at 4% in the fourth quarter. And on a year-over-year basis, that, 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 that means uh, overall GDP declined by 
three and a half percent in 2020. Well, that might not, I'm not might not be ending on good news there. Um, it, we're on the uptick, if you will, and if we can generate four percent quarterly growth um, this year, that'll be really good. So you say we're on the uptick, but something interesting that you just mentioned was that people perceive themselves to be wealthier. That doesn't always translate into actually being wealthier. What is the bad news from the numbers of this quarter or this month? And and what's kind of the reality on the ground moving in into 2021? Yeah, actually, you know, even in those same indicators, I can find, you know, the bad news within those. Um, just going back to the unemployment rate, for example, even though it dropped by nearly a half percentage point um, during the last month, there were only 49,000 new jobs that were added in January. And um, the hardest hit sectors like leisure and hospitality, retail, accommodation and food services, those kind of high touch service industry jobs, the employment numbers actually fell further. Um, and we're seeing more people basically drop out of the labor force. The labor force participation rate has waned. And that's why the unemployment rate dropped so much, um, even though we didn't add a lot of jobs. And then on, on uh, consumer confidence, although it appears to be rising, it's far below where it was prior to the pandemic. Um, so that indicates to me that there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. Uncertainty is still elevated. And consumers kind of are still in this wait and see mode. And so what's interesting about, you know, kind of this wealth effect thing that, that uh, we had mentioned, it appears like we have um, what I would call kind of a tale of two economies going on right now. So generally speaking, for professional workers who can work, you know, mostly work remotely, their incomes are still pretty stable. And they continue to spend a lot of money, although probably not as much on, you know, restaurants and retail and tourism and travel because they're, they're essentially locked down. Um, but it's those workers in those industries, you know, that, that work in restaurants and, and uh, retail, tourism, et cetera. They're the ones that are likely struggling the most. So that's the other economy. And, uh, uh, you know, it's because of the restrictions that are in place and those restrictions limit consumption which then limits their ability to earn an income or it maybe even eliminates their ability to have an income. So that's kind of the, the, the bad news out of that is this dichotomy between these two groups. So it's a, a tale of two economies. So based on what we're seeing, um, putting your prognosticator hat on, which I know is dangerous for an economist, what do you think comes <laughs> next? <laughs> it's a very dangerous for an economist, yes. Um, well, you know, I think another uh, federal government fiscal spending package is forthcoming of some kind. And my understanding is that the Biden administration has proposed another $1.9 trillion package. And this is after Congress authorized roughly $4 trillion total in, in 2020. Actually, when you add all that together, that total amount would come to nearly 25% of 2019 GDP. Now, see, these are big numbers. Now, some will say that 1.9 trillion is too big, and others will say it's not big enough. Um, you know, as an aside, you know that we conduct this quarterly survey of community bankers, 
and we use their answers to produce our community bank sentiment index. Well, in the last survey um, during December of 2020, we asked, uh, what are you most concerned about? So we asked our community bankers what they're most concerned about. Well, it turns out of the 11 indicators or, or concerns that we had put on our list, they're concerned about just about everything. But topping the list was federal debt slash deficit. And that was higher on the list than the COVID-19 economic lockdowns, higher than taxes, higher than cyber attacks. Um, and although all four of those were up there pretty high, um, you know, it was still the federal debt and deficit was the highest one that was on that list. So back to this proposed stimulus package, I'm not a fiscal policy expert, um, but I do know or I've learned that for a stimulus package to really help the economy, it needs to be targeted, timely, and temporary. Okay, follows the three T's, targeted, timely, temporary. And so from my perch, uh, I would I would think that the stimulus dollars should quickly go to businesses and industries and industries and industries most impacted by the government mandated lockdowns and just for, you know, some more temporary relief and help. Um, of course, what's ultimately needed is for the economy to completely reopen travel, restaurants, bars, casinos, retail stores, sporting events, concerts, you know, you name it. Um, but with ongoing fears of the virus and the social distancing restrictions in place, such herd immunity really still seems a long way off, even with the aggressive vaccinations. So one indicator I look at here to, that would kind of wrap all this up is um, it's called the Back to Normal Index. And it's put together by CNN Business and Moody's Analytics. Um, and they just started it this year. They look at, I, I think it's 11, maybe more than that, weekly and daily economic metrics to kind of um, uh, look at, actually, they look at all 50 states individually, but then the nation as a whole to see how it is operating now relative to where it was at the end of February of last year, before the pandemic really started to impact businesses and economic activity and such. And by that measure, the national economy is currently operating at about 81%. Now that's up from its, um, its, its bottoming out of 60% last April and a recent low mark that we had in December of about 75%, but it's still slightly below where it peaked in, um, in September and October at around 84%. So we were on the uptick and then we had the latest surge of reported COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. So um, that's an indicator I think worth watching. All right. And then my last question for you is, uh, say you're advising a group of regulators of banks, non-banks at the state level, what numbers should these regulators be watching in the coming months? If you had to pick a couple indicators or numbers they should really be looking at or a couple uh, statistics about their about their about their entities. What should they be looking at? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, regulators, of course, are focused on safety and soundness. And with the Fed dropping the short-term interest rates to near zero uh, last year, we've seen margin compression. 
So that is, we, we've seen the net interest margins that banks have to operate within, you know, narrowing and, and, and becoming very thin. And so will these low interest rates create more incentives for taking on additional risks? Uh, will lenders extend credit without having solid collateral uh, or conditions in place? And so I think it's important for regulators to watch various asset quality and credit quality measures. Um, if there are declines, you know, asking whether bankers are accepting the avoidable risks in their portfolios is, it seems logical to me. Do they have the right procedures in place to take on the new risks? Do they have sufficient capital to absorb potential losses? Um, you know, to be clear, banks are in the risk management business. You know, it's their job to help small businesses and entrepreneurs and consumers manage the risks um, to, you know, to help them reach their dreams. So obviously no risk is not what regulators should be looking for, but rather are risks being put on the bank's balance sheets? You know, are they manageable? Um, are they not all concentrated in one place? Are they not all concentrated in one industry? Those kinds of things. And finally, um, CRE lending is another important thing to watch. CRE is commercial real estate lending. And when we finally come out of this pandemic, you know, there will be new ways of working and interacting. So will there be a glut of vacant space, office space on banks balance sheets with fewer paying tenants? Will hotels and other places of entertainment be able to meet their debt obligations and potentially with, you know, potentially fewer tra travelers? Will strip centers have the same kind of demand for tenants that they had previously? So, from a regulator perspective, it's important to still remember community bankers know their customers and they know their markets. They listen uh, and, and they learn in their local markets. They are well aware of any credit issues and misplaced you know, market valuations that might exist in their own communities. So they're in the best position to know when to lend and when to say no. And so I think it's important for regulators to keep that in mind and and, uh, you know, really just be there to ask the bankers deep and thoughtful questions about how they're managing their their risks and their portfolios and the quality of their assets in their portfolios. And that will help the bankers become better bankers. And by helping the bankers become better, communities all across America um, will certainly benefit. All right. Well, that's a really helpful summary of what we should be looking at. It's uh, Tom Seams with our economic update. Thanks so much, Tom. Yep. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. That's all for today. Simply Stated is a product of the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. If you like what you heard, please subscribe in your favorite podcasting app or go to csbs.org newsroom and subscribe. I'm Matt Longacre. Thanks for joining us.